0: So We're doing things a little bit different today. Um, As you can see, I'm sitting down um, and I haven't practiced this, so I have no idea if it's going to be 20 minutes or 45. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I wanted to come before you today and just create a space for God to do what he wants. Instead of practicing this I have spent the last couple weeks prayerfully meditating on it. And um, I just kind of want to take this opportunity to share my testimony with you, a piece of it. Um, And sort of what I have always felt like is the thing God wants me to share with this church. You're gonna hear a lot of common themes today that seem to have slipped into a lot of my sermons. Because at the end of the day, this is what I know. This is what God's lessons in my life have taught me, and I have called this sermon, Lessons on Brokenness. Because I feel like that has sort of been the theme of my spiritual development over the course of my lifetime. So um, the fun thing about um, being uprooted very soon is that I can be as real and vulnerable and raw as I want, I can say all the things that may that I've in the past been like, oh, can I say that on stage? It's Alan's problem if you don't like what I have to say today. It's not my problem. I'm not on the payroll anymore. And, and as such, you know, if you don't like it, maybe I don't represent the church right now. I'm not quite clear on that. But... but You know, but also I don't have to save anything. I don't have to save any stories to tell you next week, which is kind of fun. I can tell every good story I have today. Um, and I can be as vulnerable as I God's going to force me to be. You know, that was the hard part as I prepared for this because the first few minutes, um, the first section—I have no idea how long it's going to take me—is just going to be sharing some things I've never shared from the pulpit before. And it was really difficult for me not to rehearse this in my head and start trying to decide what things I was going to share and what things I was going to hold back. Um, So, (laughs) with that said, what I feel brokenness has looked like in my life and how my understanding of that has changed as I have received healing, as I have grown in my faith, as I have matured into adulthood and, um, and middle age. <laughs> what, what does that mean for me? You know, I can tell you that I can't remember before I felt broken. I have shared in sort of an oblique way about my struggles with my mental health many times. There's not gonna be anything oblique about today. You know, I can't remember before I felt sad and afraid and um, like an alien creature that didn't understand how to connect with people, who didn't just watch other people just know how to be friends and want to be a part of that, but not understand how. And um, I can remember where I was when I was 13, the summer before ninth grade, and I read an article in Seventeen magazine. It was like the first time. This is awful. There are no children in this room right now, are there? Okay, great. I can remember the first time I read an article in Seventeen magazine that described probably what was just simple clinical depression, but I'd never really heard anybody talk openly about it before. And, but it was like in the first three paragraphs about an article about a girl who was hurting herself. And um, I'm sure the last three pages of this article were about her like beautiful recovery from it, <laughs> but all I took away was here was a thing that made her feel better. You know, and I started experimenting with that. You know, and um, by the time I graduated from high school, I had a whole list of, like, if you, so everybody knows I'm super ADD, because I talk about that all the time. And usually that's like a joke, right? Like it's, ha, Nikki, so ADD. But like, if you look up like ADD, like in the, like clinically, there's a whole bunch of um, common, personality disorders, mental health problems that are comorbid with it. And by the time I graduated high school, I had all of them. I had a panic disorder. I had clinical depression. I was, like, self-harming all the time. I had a pretty advanced eating disorder. Um, It was not good. (laughs) You know? Um, But I also had a really strong faith life. And um, I had grown up Catholic, and I had taken all of my sacraments really seriously, and I went to church very often, and I was very involved in my church, and i had had many, many beautiful experiences um, with God, with the Holy Spirit, through that faith. And I went to a Baptist high school, and I had responded to, like, honestly, more altar calls than I can count, and had been smote to my knees in that high school gymnasium and wept into the basketball court like a lot, a lot of times, (laughs) you know? And um, those moments of what I'm gonna now identify as like spiritual transcendence, connection with the Holy Spirit, were like the only times in like my whole life that I felt okay. And um, so I like went out into the world knowing God, having surrendered my life to Christ, having a very deep intellectual understanding of the Bible, and um, having experienced this beautiful connection with the Holy Spirit. And I would love to tell you that through that, I received like this beautiful, instantaneous, miraculous healing, and lived happily ever after, but that was not my story. I went out into the world, and um, the little antisocial, egghead, goody-two-shoes, like, found a lot of alcohol out in the world. <laughs> and, um, I became like a daily blackout drinker because I didn't have to deal with the way I felt if I couldn't consciously remember how I felt. You know, and by 20 years old, I was like a recluse. I couldn't leave my apartment. I had panic attacks when I tried to leave my apartment. I like would break out in hives. I spoke with a stutter. Um, It was a mess. I had alienated every person in my life who cared about me. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like the thing about addiction is you don't stop loving people, but you do become completely incapable of like living up to any of your best (laughs) intentions, or seeing how any of your actions directly affect other people, how your choices ripple out into the lives of people you love. And I did a lot of things I was very, very ashamed of. And I did not quit believing in God, I did not... Stop believing that God had given me everything I needed in life to be successful. But I absolutely did believe that God was deeply ashamed of me. That um, the best I could hope for was to keep my head down and maybe he wouldn't notice me. <laughs> you know, and I was just going to ride this life out. Hopefully that wouldn't take very long. Um... You know, it's funny how we look back as an adult, and you can see how many times life profoundly changes and how little time that takes. But when you're young, you don't understand that. You don't understand that you can feel profoundly different in a year. You know, and I wanted to die so bad. And I was so, so hopeless, and I hated myself so much. And it wasn't because I didn't, Have the same faith, it was because I didn't understand that I wasn't supposed to be strong enough to fix it by myself. That there wasn't this like profoundly fundamental brokenness inside of me, that just like I was just some cast off thing. And um, I got sober. Feel free to talk to me about that after this if you need to know how I got sober. I would love to talk to you at length about that. But um, I got sober through a spiritual program that taught me that, um, that it was okay to be broken, that I wasn't meant to fix it on my own, that I was never able to fix it on my own, that the thing that was wrong with me was bigger than human power and I needed something bigger than human power to fix it. And, um, and it did, and I believe that every day, like, I've been sober for 18 and a half years, and I believe every day I don't take a drink is a miracle of healing, you know? <laughs> um, but that's not all, but that's not all, you know? I, at that same time, made a decision to stop actively engaging in a lot of what I identified as self-destructive behaviors, you know? So I haven't taken a diet pill in that time. I haven't purged. Okay, I did like twice in the very beginning. But I haven't purged since I decided that was a bad thing to do. You know, I haven't um, cut myself. You know, I have like, there's a whole list of things that I decided to stop doing at that time. Because I believe they interfered with God's ability, with the Holy Spirit's ability to change my life that I could not receive what I needed to receive from God and actively engage in those behaviors. And every day that I don't do that is a miracle, is a miracle. And for a really long time, I was satisfied with that, you know. Um, But it didn't, like, fix what was wrong with me, um, if that makes sense. It fixed, okay, a lot of what was wrong with me got fixed, a lot. And I was able to have a happy, useful, beautiful life, you know, to build something amazing, to be really, really useful in a world where I literally couldn't even engage with other humans. I was suddenly able to be, like, a contributing member of society, (laughs) which was revolutionary for me. it was good and it was all built around this idea of surrendering my life to God's will and doing everything I could each day to be a servant of his will and the people around me. And what does that look like today? What does it look like today to dedicate my life to the service of God and the people he puts in my path? Um, And so I learned a lot right then about like a faith that works because I had had faith before but there was this fundamental disconnect in like what I call now like humility or being right-sized, because up to that point, I was trying to, I thought I was supposed to function as a god in my life, to fix all these things that people couldn't fix, you know, to control all these things that people can't control, to change things about myself that people can't change, that I couldn't change. Um, but I learned a little bit more about brokenness when I first came to this church. Because at that time, I was like 15 years sober, I guess? Maybe less, I don't know. But um, I was in a really, really, really deep depression. And I had not been engaging in all of those behaviors, but many of those thoughts I still struggled with. You know, um, really, really insane relationship with food and my body you know, um, intrusive thoughts about hurting myself. Still, at 15 years sober, probably 14 years since the last time I've actually hurt myself, I was still struggling pretty regularly with thoughts about it. And um, I had joined this church, and I was really actively involved in this church because that's just how I live my life. And I was talking openly with those things about with a couple women I looked up to at this church. And one of them offered me a job on staff, And the other one was like, that's a terrible idea. You're not fit to do that. (laughs) Um, And y'all, that broke my heart so bad. But I prayed about it, and I just didn't believe that was the truth. It did not fit with everything God had taught me up to that point in my life. That God uses broken things. That God heals me through my willingness to be of service. Um. And that the greatest joy I find in life is through connecting with the outside world, the people God puts in front of me through his Holy Spirit, through an expression of his love. And so I did it anyway, even though it was really hard and really scary, you know. And um, every time I get up here and I talk about my mental health problems, I'm always afraid that Someone is thinking, you know, that that's what everybody's thinking, that because of those things, I don't deserve to be up here. I don't belong up here. But um, I want you to believe that you belong up here, so I keep doing it anyway. And um, when I went to my first Vineyard National Conference, They did an altar call. And first of all, let me tell you, I grew up very involved in both the Catholic Church and very deeply immersed in the Baptist faith. And I had never yet before experienced, though, things like people speaking in tongues, people like falling out in the spirit, all of that I saw for the first time that weekend. You know, um, I, had nev- I, I had never, I had never had somebody walk up to me and be like, "I just received a word from you. Here's what I think God wants to say to you." I had certainly never been like, had God be like, "You need to go say this thing to that person." It's like, "I'm sorry, what? No, no, we're not gonna do that." You know, it, you gotta understand? Like, and I had this like crazy imposter syndrome. And like our first night there, like I'm like looking around, like this is kind of nuts. And God's like, "You need to go tell that lady that God loves her." And I was like no, this is, I'm sorry, do you not know that this is a national pastor's conference? That lady knows God loves her, and I cannot go tell her that, (laughs) you know, and God's, like, you need to go, and, like, the, the aisles are, like, full of people falling out, people praying for each other, like, I mean, you cannot walk down the aisles of this building, so I had to, like, climb over the rows of chairs to get to her, and I, like, sat down next to her, and I tell her, Okay, like, of course, I started with an apology because I had never given a word before. You know, and um, so I like, and I just said, you know, I, I know that this is oversimplified, but I just feel like I'm supposed to come and tell you that God loves you. And this woman like started bawling. Turns out she's like probably like the only person in that room who's not on staff at a church somewhere. She just like lived in the town the conference was in, and she was like going through a really hard time and heard there was gonna be worship music there that night, and she had, like showed up. <laughs> she's like living in some halfway house, like just really needed some Jesus today, you know? And um, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, and later that same weekend, um, they had an altar call. And by this time, I had kind of like gotten used to everything that was going on. And I like, I can't remember what specifically was said, but it was definitely something to the extent of like, there's a thing that you are satisfied with the level of healing you've received, and you've quit asking for more. And, you know, um, I had said that so many times, right? Like, my whole life is a miracle. My whole life is a miracle. And I'm making it work. But I was so depressed, and I was so angry at that time in my life about being so depressed. I had been, I felt like I had been very faithfully doing everything God had asked me to do for 15 years. And I was just mad that I was still having these thoughts all the time. I was mad about it. And I was mad that I had to work so hard to be okay every day. And I went down to the front, and y'all, this lady, I swear, she, like, gave birth to me. I don't know what happened. Like, I barely remember it. I just remember, like, sobbing into this woman's arms while she prayed over me. You know, and I'm not going to say that I don't still have occasional panic attacks and, you know, Depressive episodes, because that'd be a lie. But I don't, I have not entertained a serious thought about hurting myself that I couldn't just be like, you know, now it's like you open. Like, you know that one soup spoon that you never eat with that's in your silverware drawer for some reason, and you like see it every time you go to get a spoon? Like, now those thoughts are just like another spoon in the drawer. Like, I open the drawer, it's like, oh, I'm really stressed out right now. And you like open the drawer, and it's like, well, I don't want the soup spoon. You know? Like, that's what those thoughts are like now. That is so good. You know? Seriously. And like, I don't know how to explain to you what that's like for me every time I just, like, and walk away from that thought. You know, every time I have a really bad day and I notice I didn't think about it. You know? And a lot I've been healed in a lot of other ways since I got here, set free in a lot of other ways that I don't really have time to get into, but I spent a lot of my life feeling very content with just being okay you know, feeling like I was irreparably broken, and then feeling like some junker car that God was like holding together with, du- with like gum and duct tape and like a screwdriver in the ignition, you know? <laughs> you know? But Jeremy said something to me one, at one of our first one-on-ones after I got on staff, and I was talking to him about feeling that way. And he said, Nikki, God doesn't do that. You're not a broken thing stuck back together. You're a new creature in Christ. You know, you're a whole new thing. So that's our context, guys. And now we're going to kind of go through what I think of like the thesis statements of what I have learned. (laughs) So is this the first slide, Lynn? Can we go back to the first one? Yeah, thanks. I have no idea what you guys have been seeing while I was talking. Sorry about that. Um, So number one, we're all broken. And I know probably not everybody in here can identify with any or all of the story I just told. But what I know is that everyone in here at some time in their life have felt broken. Maybe like me, there is some underlying thing inside of you that you've always carried that made you feel like you were made wrong. I've come to understand that that's the broken part. The broken part is that we think we were made wrong, that in reality, we're all perfect creations, like very intentionally designed by a master artist to be exactly the way we are, that all the rough bits we think make us wrong are actually like why the gears fit, you know, why we fit right into the right spot on the puzzle. But, Sometimes the brokenness is that we can't accept the way we were created. Sometimes we're broken by our own choices. I was certainly broken by the sin that I brought into my own life. Sometimes we're broken by the sins of others. Sometimes we're broken just by like trauma and hurt and loss and grief. But we all get broken. You know? And that's okay. It's a part of living in this fallen world. It's a part of being human. We're all broken. You know? And that's okay. What's next? We aren't mixed, meant to fix our own brokenness. Have you ever had a hurt that you just couldn't let go, a wound that just wouldn't seem to heal but festered over time, something that you could not accept, a pain that just aches inside of you all the time. We all have things like that. You know, I I love when St. Paul talks about, like, the thorn in his side. Like, we don't get to know what his broken thing was, Lots of people have had fun trying to guess, you know, but we're not going to waste time there today. But he was broken, and God used him in this beautiful, profound way. It did not interfere with his ability to live out God's will in this world, to make a profound impact on the kingdom. You know, but he was broken. St. Peter, broken. We could go through all, you know, Thomas, you know, like all all of these figures we see in the Bible— They're broken in some way. We watch them again and again and again, do it imperfectly, sometimes really poorly. (laughs) And that's okay. It doesn't interfere with God's ability to love them and to use them. We are still lovable. God's not waiting for us to get our act together so he can love us. God already loves us. We're meant to be able to accept and love ourselves the same. Like, I love this idea that we so easily project onto other people. Like, I'm going to focus on the Holy Spirit and you, and I'm going to work to love and accept you and to forgive you and to, like, be able to connect with the Spirit in that way. But we don't want to turn that inward. We don't want to do, extend that same grace to ourselves. But we're meant to you are every bit a part of the beauty of God's creation as everything else around us, and we're meant to be able to appreciate that. You know? And, you know, there was definitely a time in my life when I did not believe I was lovable. And because of that, I could not, I definitely did not expect any of you to see anything of value in me, and I spent a lot of time and energy either straight out avoiding you, or trying to predict what it was you needed me to be so that you could love me, and trying to pretend to be that thing. And when you do that, a couple things happen. You're very lonely. Many people just detect that you are disingenuous and do not respond well. And the people that do, even the people who, like, like your family, because you feel like you've never given, they don't know you, you cannot accept the love they're trying to extend to you because you continue to believe this lie that if they knew the truth, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. So even the people who want to love you, you can't feel loved because nobody knows you. But when we know that we are lovable, when we know that God loves us, that we are a part of God's creation, and therefore valuable and good, then when the people around me have trouble accepting the truth of me, that's okay, because I am lovable, and if they can't love me, well, I mean, assuming I'm still seeking good and growth, (laughs) assuming I'm seeking good and growth, if they can't love me, perhaps I can extend them some empathy, because that sounds like a them thing, you know? And that's okay. I, think, I feel like I had one of my biggest parenting victories yesterday, because Remy and I were playing like a questions game while we were killing time in the car, and like my next question was like, tell me three things you like about yourself. And the first thing he said was, I am lovable. And he is. He super is. But, you know, I feel like I didn't figure that out at six. <laughs> or 16, or 26, you know. You know, and he said, do you want to hear three things I like about you? And I was like, yeah, I do. And his first thing about me was that I am lovable. And if you don't think God uses your children to talk to you, (laughs) (sighs) what's next, Lynn? God can still use us. He's not waiting for us to get fixed to use us. God wants to use you wherever you are right now to minister to the, whoever is next to you, in front of you, beside you, to your family members, to your friends, to your grocery store clerk, everyone who's come into your path. He wants to use you to extend his love and his power and the testimony of what's possible through his way of life. And he wants to do that right now, no matter where you are in your personal journey. That's my favorite thing about the vineyard is we, you know, remember that uh, the Christ-centered model, like for those of you who maybe are new and haven't done a Vineyard 101, like our church doesn't have any rules. When we talk about like, how do you decide if you're a member of the vineyard? There's like a picture of a cross and all these little dots. And your arrow is either pointed in as in you're growing towards Christ or not currently. And that's it. That's it. Like, your arrow is pointed towards Christ. Good. You're in. He wants to use you. You. You know? From where, and it it doesn't matter how far your dot is from the cross. If it's, if your arrow is pointed towards the cross, you're in, and you're, you. We're talking about you. We're talking to you. You know? And I believe that those of us who are still a little more broken can reach the broken much more easily. Because guess what? There's a whole bunch of unchurched people, people who have been hurt by church people, way out on the fringes of that picture. And it's hard for them to hear anything from the people way on the inside of the picture. You know? But they can hear something from people they can relate to from people they feel like have suffered and have hurt, people they feel like understand them and are not judging them. I'm not saying everybody close to the cross is just judging them. I'm saying that when you are full of shame, it's hard to not assume people are judging you. It's hard to allow yourself to be vulnerable and not defensive. But man, these Outer ring people have an opportunity to witness and testify that sometimes the inner ring people do not get. Holy Spirit doesn't care how much maturing and how much growth and how close to Christ we have drawn. You open that door and you're the one he wants to use right now today. not to say it's not easier to understand what he's trying to do the more you practice because <laughs> it is but it doesn't stop him from doing what he wants next in God's hands our brokenness becomes a powerful tool one of my best friends has had like i don't even know how many miscarriages I have lost count because she doesn't always tell us when she's pregnant anymore. And I would never, ever wish that suffering on anybody. And I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that I believe God did that to her, that that was God's will for her life. What I will tell you is I have seen her be able to minister to women going through that circumstance in a way that I will never be able to that she's able to connect with them and empathize with them and tell them things that someone who'd never been through that circumstance could never say. And she knows what to say. She's been able to profoundly help a lot of people, that a lot of other people can't help. God takes our brokenness and he gives it meaning and value You know, I find myself thinking about, like, I'm sure I read this, like, in a fantasy novel. I can't imagine where else I would have gotten this idea. But, like, a giant piece of jagged glass, you know, and you pull it out, and then it's like the knife that you use to, you know. Like, (laughs) but that's what Christ does. He takes this awful pain inside of us, and he turns it into a tool. Very awesome. You know, makes something that feels senseless meaningful. Helps us find beauty in it. You know, I've seen my mom do the same thing after my dad died. She was just devastated. And she took that grief and she turned it into a ministry for people who were grieving. And she helped a whole bunch of people. You know, God took her pain, her suffering, and he turned it into a really valuable tool that made it easier to bear, that eventually brought joy into her life. Because that's what he wants to do. You know, like, the things I did when I was drinking, like, that wasn't God's will, you know? But man, has he used that experience to change people's lives, to help people, to do good in the world. He took the worst things I've ever done, and he made them a tool for good. Next. My willingness to let you see my brokenness is important. Hey, church folks, when our modern church culture tells us that we're supposed to already be fixed. We're supposed to fix ourselves. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to, we're supposed to present this, like, K-love version of Christian lifestyle, you know, that just creates an atmosphere where we can't be real. We can't be authentic. We can't connect intimately. Our church friends are not the people we talk to about what we're struggling with. And that's a shame. That is not the way God intends it to be. It it's not the way God intends it to be. I really like how Alan cheers for the person on teaching team like he's at a sporting event. It may <laughs> it's very encouraging, I like it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, we are meant to edify and encourage one another. But there is this awful feedback loop that happens when we only bring our praise here and not our suffering and not our lament and not our struggle or our temptation or our anger. I praise God that I have a God I can be mad at sometimes. That I can say anything I want to God. That I can express anything I want to God. And that's okay. I still love him. He still loves me, I'm still talking to him, you know. But we need to be able to talk about that in our holy relationships, in our fellowship relationships, so that we all, when we are going through those struggles, we don't feel like we're doing it wrong. I must be doing this faith thing wrong because why do I still feel this way? Why is this still happening? Why am I still struggling? All of my church friends are happy. What's wrong with me? And when our church friend is suffering, they don't feel like they can talk to us because they've never seen us have a hair out of place. You know? It's important that we're willing to talk about our brokenness, to show it. And guys, the most interesting and powerful things God has ever done in our lives all tie back to this. How did he strengthen us through that hard time? How did our repentance of that thing we're so ashamed of change our lives? How did our forgiveness over that thing we're so ashamed of change our lives? Now, I'm not going to say that y'all, I do not believe y'all are all fake. I don't want to come across that way. Getting to see into some of your lives has been one of the greatest gifts of mine. You know, I'm just saying, like, more, more. Like, what, are, what would it look like? What would our church, the bigger church, look like if, we walk, like if we walked around with our testimony on our sleeve? And our testimony isn't just past tense. Because our relationship with Christ isn't meant to be this one transcendent thing that happened 30 years ago. If it did, there is something, if that is our relationship with Christ, there's some, there is something wrong with it. Because it should be this living, breathing thing. We should be ever evolving, ever being refined. We should constantly be getting convicted on deeper levels and repenting on deeper levels and growing on deeper levels as we do come to know him and ourselves better. <laughs> What's the next, Lynn? Oh, I love this. I am not a broken thing mended. I am a new thing created. This inspired this whole lesson. I used to be really back when I thought I was a junker car held together by like, you know, shoddy backyard welding or something. Um, I used to love the metaphor of, like, the Japanese teapot that get the, you know, like the broken pottery that you, like, glue back together with melted gold, because it's so beautiful, and it is a beautiful image. But I much prefer today um, these cool little crayons. I did this project with my kids one time. You take all the broken crayons, and you put them in these molds. And they melt down and turn it into a new thing. And look, you could take a cigarette lighter and melt the two ends of the broken crayon and glue the broken crayon back together, but guess what? It's brittle. And it's probably going to break again the next time a kid picks it up. Right. Wow. I hope you all are here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's not as good as the thing you started with. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works. And it's certainly not how life works. We get melted down and made into a new thing out of all the broken pieces. And all of that stuff that broke me gets to be forged into the new ore, or alloy, the new alloy i become that is stronger than the things I started as. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. And prettier, too. <laughs> you know? And it is genuinely useful again you would say, more useful. My kids and I did this project because we wanted to make, I could not find, for the nursery room, they have these really cool, like developmentally appropriate, like triangle crayons they make for little kids learning pencil grip, and they have jumbo crayons they make for really little kids, but I wanted triangle-shaped jumbo crayons, and I couldn't find any, so we made our own. And they were more useful than the thing it started as. (laughs) You know? When I am working on a sermon, I often am amused by the way in my meditation time, I tend to get, like, hyper-fixated on a thing that seemingly is unrelated, like a tangent. Like, I don't know if you remember the last time I preached, I got, like, obsessed with the geography of Israel and, like, the Jordan Valley. (laughs) Well, so this time, the thing I got obsessed with was... um, forest fires, and floods, and this idea of the way an ecosystem changes over time. And you end up with what they call apex ecosystems, right? Like, it's as good as it can ever get. And nothing, but nothing new can grow there. The trees are, like, 200 feet tall, and they block out all the sun on the ground, and, like, new types of life can't survive there. So, like, everything that is there is, like, Big, healthy apex predators, you know, it's like got giant black bears and stuff, but like, I don't know, no chipmunks. I made up that example, don't fact-check me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I got in, this has always stuck with me since when we went to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, we drove through, like two years before, there had been a giant forest fire in I believe Cibola National Forest and it was like 19,000 acres or something crazy, had burned. And it was like super depressing looking, <laughs> except for all of the new shoots and little saplings that were coming out, like five and six feet tall trees everywhere in the middle of like all of the ashes of all of these burnt out pine trees. And when I was trying to re- like find a good picture of that for you guys, um, I stumbled across a different forest fire that um, was better documented. And it was Acadia National Forest in 1947. And when Acadia was first made a national forest, it was because of these amazing mature pine forests. Gorgeous, just like gigantic spruce, and it was just spectacular. Allegedly, I don't know, I couldn't find a picture because it all burned down before there were good cameras, and all the photos I could find were really grainy black-and-white photos. Um, But most of the forest burned down in this giant forest fire in the 40s. And um, in its place, once all of the ecosystem that had been there had burned down, a new type of forest grew, this deciduous forest full of maples and aspens. And now it's like a fall colors destination. It is still spectacularly beautiful, but it's a completely different thing than what it started as. And none of those things could exist there right now if, it, if what had been there had not been destroyed. Now, does that mean the forest fire felt good for all the like thousands of people who lost their homes? No, if you were a forest ranger working there who loved this place and it all burned to the ground and for the next 10 years, it's just a desolate wasteland. No, I'm sure you hated this forest fire. It was like the worst thing that ever happened to you. You know, but when we zoom out, we can see that the new thing that came, is it worse, it's just different. You know, we see the same thing with flooding. It's so hard. In our modern society, to see the purpose of flooding, (laughs) especially down here where we live in a place that's built alongside the Mississippi River. You know, it's easy to forget that for most of human history, civilization only existed because these giant rivers would periodically overflow and all over for a little while, you know, and create these big rich deltas full of fertile land where it wouldn't have been before. That's like literally how societies started. (laughs) People gravitating towards these frequently flooded areas because that's where God gave them everything they needed. Even if every hundred years or so, he also destroyed it all. It's really easy to only see the pain in our brokenness. But God redeems all things. Turns all things towards his good. Hey, look, I have a scripture verse. (laughs) Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I think I've got some practical tips next, Lynn. Let's see. So, I want you to thank God for loving you in your brokenness and for making you a new creature. If you don't feel like you have reached that place that I talked about where, like, maybe you're still trying to fix your own brokenness, we would love to pray for you today. Maybe you know Christ like I did but you haven't humbled yourself in that way to be able to receive the miracles he has available for you, we would love to pray for you today. And if you have already received that on some level, I want thanksgiving, prayers, praise of thanksgiving for all that you have received, all the ways that you have been redeemed and transformed and made a new creature, you know, I want you to reflect on how God has used or wants to use your past or current struggles to do his work. Please reflect this week on what I've said about how we're never done. We're never done. You know, he wants to take you further. He wants to heal you more deeply. He wants to convict you more deeply. He wants to use you in a more meaningful way. What do you feel like he's calling you towards for your next steps in your journey with him? I want to challenge you to share a part of your story with someone this week. Allowing them to see something God is leading you through or has helped you to overcome. I mean, come on. Have it, like, I want you to think about, like, the testimonies that you've heard that you, like, really remember. Like, the ones that really stuck in your brain. It's always the ones with, like... And then God took me through this thing. Like those moments that demonstrate his power and his love. That's where it's at, guys.